back to Becoming Your Best Version, a podcast in which I get to interview amazing people whose paths cross mine. And today we get to hear about this author who I just recently met. And I'm so excited that I get to learn more about her life and her writing process because this, some of her writing is just so deep and I'm sure you're going to enjoy getting to know her as I have. In her 30 plus career, year career as an author, Laura Davis has written seven nonfiction books that have changed people's lives. The Courage to Heal paved the way for hundreds of thousands to heal from the trauma of sexual abuse. Becoming the parent you want to be helps parents develop a vision for the families they want to create. And I thought we'd never speak again. The road from estrangement to reconciliation teaches the skills of reconciliation and peace building to the world, one relationship at a time. Laura's groundbreaking books have been translated into 11 languages and sold more than 2 million copies. Her new memoir, The Burning Light of Two Stars, tells the story of Laura's dramatic and tumultuous relationship with her mother from the time of Laura's birth until her mother's death. The story about two souls who just wouldn't quit each other provides a no-holds-barred peek at the real Laura, the woman behind the teacher, the facilitator and author. Laura's love of words extends into her teaching life. She loves building communities of writers and teaches weekly writing workshops online and in Santa Cruz, California. When there isn't a pandemic, she teaches transformative writing retreats in Northern California, Bali, Peru, Italy, Vietnam, and other international destinations. Laura lives in Santa Cruz, California with her spouse, Karen, and their new yellow lab puppy, Luna. She enjoys swimming, hiking, <laughs> mahjong, mahjong, mahjong. kombucha, <laughs> motion theater, her grandchildren, and of course, writing. Check out lauradavis.net for more information about this amazing woman. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to be here. Been looking forward to it. Thank you so much. And right before we started recording, I had a problem in my family. And Laura has this really nice, uh, just calm, <laughs> accepting, warm demeanor that really put me at ease. And I, I thank you for listening and thank you for being on the show. So uh, let's get right into it. I mean, your, your memoir, The Burning Light of Two Stars, a mother-daughter story. Wow, you must have really bled on the pages there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you could say that, especially the early drafts. It took me um, 10 years to write this book. I've, I, I've actually, I've been writing about my mother. The first time I, I published something about her, I was 23 years old. So more than 40 years ago, wow. uh, I was writing about her. And, you know, her I always tell my students that uh, writers do best when they write about their obsessions, you know, the things that really consume them and are uh, kind of the deepest core issues that they have. And for me, my relationship with my mother was definitely one of those issues. It's something I wrestled with, you know, my entire life until she died. 
Um, When did she die? She, it's been seven years. She died seven years ago. Okay. Um, So did she get a chance to see any of your writing about her? Uh, she did uh, in the earlier years. Um, <clears throat> one of the stories I tell in the book is that I, I wrote a book called I Thought We'd Never Speak Again, which is about how to reconcile estranged relationships, which is, you know, definitely something people need right now. There's so much, you know, animosity. There's so much divisiveness. There are so many rifts in families and friends over politics, vaccines, you know, just we're in such a divided uh, society. And yeah. Uh, but I wrote that book 20 years ago based on um, the, 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 the uh, reconciliation that my mother and I were working on. We, we had had a, a really volatile relationship. And then in my uh, 20s, um, she betrayed me in the deepest way possible. And it led to a rift for a number of years in estrangement. Um, and, and then, you know, eventually when I was, um, and then I, I wrote my first book, Courage to Heal, which was about healing from child sexual abuse. And, and in that book, I outed my grandfather who was my mother's father. Um, and that just was like the last straw in our relationship for many years. Mm. Uh, but gradually uh, over a course of many years, we began to move back toward each other. I think there was like this, I don't know, I don't know how to say it, but just this like this glue that kept us tied together, mother and daughter. and. Um, no matter how bad things were between us, I think we both had a yearning to try to find a way into some kind of healthier bond, healthier relationship. So we worked on that for many years. Um, wow. And you were able to reconcile before she passed. You know, reconciliation is a is a complicated word because yes. there are so many different types of reconciliation, you know, ranging from kind of what we fantasize and long for, which is that, you know, the other person acknowledges all the wrongs that were committed. We maybe acknowledge our mistakes. There's this coming to terms and both people kind of ride off into the sunset with this (laughs) renewed relationship. And that actually is, it happens and it's incredible gift if it does, but it's, it's not the most common form of reconciliation. Um, Part of what my mother and I did is we, we agreed to disagree. And this is actually something that could be very helpful for people uh, watching and listening today, because we had this giant issue between us that we could not agree on. And it was the issue of whether my grandfather had sexually abused me or not. You know, I, I knew he had, my mother denied it. And she desperately wanted me to recant and just as desperately I wanted her acknowledgement and that that kept us at an impasse for many years. Um, You know, when I finally got to the point of having done enough of my own healing, I didn't need her validation anymore. And Mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, understand why it was impossible for her to be able to come through and acknowledge me, why she chose her dead father over her living daughter. It took me many years to get to that point of actually having some compassion for her, realizing she had grown up with this man. Uh, She couldn't face what I had the courage to face. Um, Right, right. And and ironically, you know, in some ways, she gave me the courage I needed to Mm. face the thing that she couldn't face. Um, That is so, so painful to listen to because (laughs) I have... um, I have a similar life story and um, my mother would rather pretend things didn't happen than face them. Mm. And I, 
have to find a way to to move forward from from that realization that she's never going to acknowledge what I want her to acknowledge. So I, I applaud you for writing about these very painful and personal issues and helping the rest of us to gain strength from, from what you put on the page. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we, well, my mother and I did achieve a lot of reconciliation and I think both of us contributed to that. Um, one of the things I did to get, a, you know, I felt like I had to escape my mother when I was young. I moved from New Jersey where I had grown up to California, where I still live. I, I created this 3000 mile buffer between us. Um, and with that distance, we were able to have, I would say kind of a cordial distant relationship uh, that could explode at any moment. And we, we were like that for many years. Um, and then, you know, when my mother was 80, um, she called me one day and she announced that she was moving to California to my town for the rest of her life. Wow. And, <laughs> um, it was that that's the opening scene of my book. It's in, in, in writing or in any kind of story, like a, you know, movie, TV show, there's always this inciting incident. It's the thing that kicks the story into motion. It, it helps the protagonist has to go on this unexpected journey. And for me, it was that phone call of my mother saying she was coming and uh, in part, I, I was furious, I was distressed, I was anxious, I was scared. And yet there was a little piece of me that was really longing for the possibility that maybe we could finally heal our relationship before she died. Wow. And, and so I said, yes. And um, this memoir, Burning Light of Two Stars, is really the story of the years she came to California and you know, everything I went through as a caregiver and what does it mean to caretake someone who betrayed you in the past? And, um, you know, so that's the story I tell and it's, it's dramatic. It's um, surprising. There were all kinds of twists and turns I never would have, you know, expected. If, if you had, if you had said to me when I was like 27, 28, and we were at our most estranged that I would be sitting at her deathbed, you know, I would have just looked at you like you were completely crazy, you know, but I ended up being there and wanting to be there. And um, the question for me was, could I actually open my heart to this person who had betrayed me? Could I find it in me to, to love her and not always feel I have to protect myself from her? So that's the journey that I went on. And that's the journey I wrote about. Wow. So beautiful. I, um, really look forward to delving more deeply into your work. I saw that you got it, an excerpt of it published in the New York Times. Yeah, it was, a, it was the, um, it was a hundred words. It was a uh, uh, tiny modern love, love story, tiny love story, a tiny yeah. love story. It was so fun taking a hundred thousand word manuscript and um, getting it down to a hundred words. That was a great challenge and really fun. Now the New York Times, I presume, is read by her because she does the Times crossword puzzle and she's from that area. So how did that go over? Oh, well, that this just happened, you know, many years after she died. So, oh, okay. Okay. Um, you know, th there were there were some interesting things um, that happened. There's there's one, there's one little um segment that I'd love to read. 
Sure. And it, it comes from the, the time when uh, my mother, I, I gave her my reconciliation book um, to read. And I, because at that time, I didn't want this book I had written about reconciliation um, to end up uh, leading to another estrangement between us. Like we had just gotten to this point where we were, you know, I, I wouldn't say we were intimate, but we um, had learned how to have a relationship with each other, you know, and it was, it was good enough is what I would say. Um, and so I, I gave her the manuscript because I wanted her to basically approve it. And what I said to her, I gave it to her and I said, um, she had a month to read it. And what I said was, tell me if there's anything you can't live with. Cause mm -hmm. she knew I was writing this book and she read it and I just sweated out that month, you know, <laughs> waiting. And she, she didn't say a thing the whole time she was reading it. Oh and gosh. I was just freaking out. I tell this story in great depth um, in the memoir. And I won't tell you everything she said uh, when she, we finally talked, but one of the things she said, she said, I want you to say more good things about me, you know, because I really had gone all, all in on talking about, you know, the way she betrayed me and the challenges between us and how difficult she was for me as a mother. And I'm sure it was very difficult for her to read. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted me to say more good things. And it actually, at that point, it was easy for me to do so. Um, because despite these giant challenges in our relationship, there were also a lot of good things. So that's what I want to read to you. And, you know, this is one of those kind of moments, both in, in literature and in life where, you know, it's a moment where you could perceive the other person differently. You get off your habitual story about them and see them in a new way. So that's the moment I tried to capture. Beautiful. Here's, I love to hear it. Okay. Here's one. It happened in New Jersey when mom was still living in my childhood home. I was visiting from far away. I imagined myself in my early 20s. Maybe it was after I left the ashram at 21 when I had no idea what the rest of my life would be. Perhaps it was after I came out to her when I was on my high horse spouting feminist philosophy and she was certain I'd live out my life as a lonely lesbian in a seedy bar. The night before, mom and I had agreed to call a truce on whatever conflagration was consuming us and to walk to the beach the next morning. After breakfast, we put on our windbreakers, laced up our sneakers and headed out the front door toward the Atlantic. The moment we stepped out onto the crooked sidewalk, the sky opened as if God had decided that very day to start the flood. Sunny one moment, a downpour the next. I gasped, she gasped. We were drenched in seconds, rain soaking our clothes, dripping from our noses, saturating our skin. Our socks and shoes, soggy white cotton with rubber soles. Mom yelled out, it's raining cats and dogs. I nodded, but I could barely hear her. The rain was too loud. We looked at each other, each expecting the other to run back into the shelter of the house. Mom shouted through the rain, let's go anyway. I gaped at her. Did my mother really want to get drenched with me in the rain? 
As she looked at me expectantly, a huge adventurous grin spread across her face. I'd never seen that look before. Her hair was stringy and wet, her cheeks painted with rivulets of rain, her dare unmistakable. I wanted to know this woman. Yes, I shouted, grinning back. She put her arm in mine, and it felt like it belonged there. And together we turned from the known world and the walls of my childhood home and ran out into the soggy streets, glasses streaked so much we couldn't see. Laughing, delighted, we strode out into the deluge. Mm. Ah, my gosh, <laughs> that is beautiful. You there's a are... lot of really, there's a lot of really uh, dark parts of this book and a lot of really, you know, big fights and challenging scenes. So it, was, so it was really nice to be able to add in some of the good moments. And, you know, one of the reasons it took me um, 10 years to write this book is in the very beginning, you know, I portrayed her as the villain and me as the, the hero, you know, or the victim. And I knew that's not what I wanted to write. So I, I had a big sign on my wall um, that said, this is the courage to reveal. And so I really worked to show my own underbelly, you know, and the, the, the mistakes I made, the ways I let her down, you know, how I was an incredibly difficult daughter. Um, and then I really worked to paint her as a fully three-dimensional character. So, you know, in the end, it's these two powerhouse women who are both flawed, both complex, both struggling to love each other um, and really being challenged to do so. Wow, beautiful. I mean, as a writer myself, I appreciate your word choices and mm -hmm. how you were able to paint a scene that I could sense with many senses. So that was so well done. And I love the glimpse into the, the lighter side of your relationship. I think that's important. And maybe in a selfish way, with selfish intentions, your mom probably made the book better with that comment. <laughs> Um, by forcing you to look at her as a more dimensional person than was your experience to date, to that date. Or, or it's not even my experience because, you know, one of the things that I learned um, after my mother died, I discovered this cache of letters in her things. Mm -hmm. And it was all the letters she had ever written to me. And there were a lot of them. And then there were first drafts of letters she had censored and not sent. Oh and then there were all the letters I had written to her. And I had I had a similar stash, like hidden in a box that I had forgotten about under the eaves in my office. Wow. And when I put these sets of letters together, there was this, this fat file folder of these musty, moldy old letters. And it was very painful to read them um, because what I had to face was that I had this way of telling a story about my mother and our relationship. We didn't speak for seven years. And then I read these letters and I saw that we had been corresponding oh. all during that period. Oh and that there were, there were nasty, angry letters, but there were loving, generous letters. And I had, to, I had to face myself and how I had painted my mother into a corner and held her there. And I had disregarded her better qualities and really fixated on her flaws, which were many. And so, you know, for me, writing the memoir in part, it's the story of how I had to come to terms with my own faulty memory um, mm. 
and my own need to validate my own story about us instead of there was it was everything I remembered was true but it was only part of the truth ah indeed wow I can relate so much to that because I write I've written a memoir about a lot of my life as well and now I'm writing another one and we do of course we tell things from our perspective but it takes, I think, a certain honesty to go beyond that and to try to understand the other person's perspective and reasons for their behavior. So I also want to talk about the transformational travel retreats, writing <laughs> retreats that you offer to uh, your your circle and beyond. And I've read so many really, really beautiful um tributes to you and what you've allowed other people to birth as a result of these retreats. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about, about your retreats? They're all over the world. I would love to go on one of these. And uh, if the dates work out, I'm signing up for Peru. But anyway, <laughs> if you can tell us, how do you help other people become better writers or to become writers at all? or to be able to plumb the depths of their experiences to put something on the page? Yeah, that's it's a great question. Um, I've been teaching writing for over 25 years and it's really, you know, it's the work of my heart. And, um, you know, I create circles, you know, or, you know, uh, I bring people together in groups. And I think a lot of my job is creating a, a container that is safe. So, you know, everything is in confidence, the way I structure the group, um, the way I set it up, the way I talk people through what we're about to do, um, creates an environment where people begin to feel safe to explore what's in their heart, uh, you know, what's on their mind, to um, access memories maybe that they didn't have access to before, and to really use writing as a tool for healing, um, for self-discovery, um, and, and also to help make decisions and sort things out in the present time. Um, so I, I, I really love doing that. And I, you know, do it, um, I do it online. I have mm -hmm. classes online if people are interested. Um, I teach, you know, retreats. I like the ones I have coming up now. There's one at uh, Esalen in Big Sur. There's one mm. in Massachusetts in May. Um, there, I'm taking a group to Tuscany. My only international trip this year is taking a very lucky group of writers to Tuscany in June. And, you know, that trip will be, um, you know, an we'll be exploring Italy. Um, we'll be eating amazing food. We'll be doing a little bit of yoga and we'll write for a couple of hours a day. So the writing, it's not primarily a writing retreat. It's really a, a, a creative vacation. Um, oh, so I'm really that. looking forward to that. I tried to first <laughs> run this trip in 2020. I had to cancel it. And um, I'm really excited that um, things are opening up and that we're going to be able to go this year. And there, there's still space if anyone is interested in that trip. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's it's giving people permission um, not to be performing with their writing. You know, mm. if you if you're getting critiqued all the time and people are telling you about, you know, how to write it better. There's a time and place for that. But when someone is composing a first draft and they don't have to consider themselves a writer, they don't have to want to be published, but they, they have to be open to using writing as a tool for self-discovery. And 
part of our process is is writing without stopping. Like I give some very provocative, powerful, insightful prompts that get people writing. And then they just, I just have them write without stopping for like 20 minutes or 15 minutes or half an hour. And it's amazing what will come out. And part of what we do is we also share our work with each other. There's something about speaking your words and having them heard and listened that completes a circuit. And the reason I love working with groups is that when one, one person in a group breaks open a topic, like for instance, I had a a class where a woman who'd been in the class for a long time, this is a weekly writing class. She wrote about her son who was a heroin addict mm. and she'd never written about that before. Um, I actually knew because she and I had conversed. I knew that about her, her situation, but she never shared it in the group and she read it and it was really frightening for her to read it. It was like received with so much love and respect and compassion by everyone in the circle and the very next class, I gave some unrelated prompt and three other people wrote about, you know, issues with abuse uh, and drugs and alcoholism and drug addiction and heroin. So wow. it was like one person um, cracks open a topic and suddenly that topic is okay for people to express. Um, and I just, you know, there's just incredible healing. There's incredible bonds get um, formed between people. And I, 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 I definitely use writing as a tool, but I really love building communities of people yes. Um, yes. that become intimate, that become safe, that become trusting. It's, it's so necessary right now more than ever. Um, and, and I also think writing can be a tool that, that brings people together across divides because you might be really disagree with someone's point of view or their politics, but if you get underneath that, and, and they write more of the truth of their life and what shaped them and what made them, suddenly there's a basis for a connection underneath the differences. And I've seen that happen so many times um, in writing classes. And I, I feel like it's one thing that I can contribute. So true. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that. I do that on a smaller scale here in the Washington area, but I really want to go on one of your international trips. Um, they... I've read a bunch of the descriptions and they're they're varied. Like it's not just yeah. straight up, we'll get together, write, critique, blah, blah, blah. It, it there you offer something unique at each at each place. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's basically it's it's like an eco-tour. I mean, you know, it's it's exploring the country, it's exploring the culture, it's um, I, I always include like hiking and physical activities and so it's, it's really an adventurous, creative vacation, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of our guests, because the answer in almost 50, 50 now episodes has never been the same. <laughs> so I hope to collect them all maybe someday and put them together in some sort of written work. But anyway, what do you do, Laura? to become your best version? Uh, for me, the, it's pretty easy. I, I go out in nature. Um, I live in Santa Cruz, California. I'm blessed to live like a 15 minute walk to the ocean. There's incredible redwood forests near me. There's long beaches, there's woods, and there's a temperate climate. So pretty much all year you could go outside. Um, I mean, now, especially if we're in a drought, we don't get that much rain in the winter. Um, but I go out in nature and I, I walk and I go to the ocean. I have a, uh, Karen and I have a pandemic dog who's 14 months old. So, you know, I take Luna out 
And I just need to be out in nature. I need to, to breathe. I need to look at beauty. And, and that's really what grounds me more than anything. It's my church. Yes. Yes. So you, are you an advocate of forest bathing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't call, I know that term and I, I know people who are into it. I'm not into it as a distinct practice, but I guess right. I've been doing that, you know, you for probably decades. Have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm well. sure I have. And to be in the presence of the majestic redwoods, wow, how lucky you are. I don't exactly know where Santa Cruz is. What is the biggest city it's near? Uh, San Francisco is two hours north. San ah. Jose is one hour north and Monterey is one hour south. So we're like a, a small beach town on the ocean, you know, about 50,000 people. Terrific. I've been living here for a long time, decades. You are lucky indeed. <laughs> So I would like to encourage all of you to check out lauradavis.net for her books, her, uh, her events, her writing workshops, her retreats. There is a lot there. And if you sign up for a mailing list, you'll get a, a free guide to a writing guide. So I would really encourage you to check this out. Um, and I thank you, Laura, for taking off time from your busy day to be with us and to share your wisdom, your candor at some difficult subjects, and um, your calm, your sense of calm is really beautiful <laughs> and just what I needed to encounter at this moment. So thank you, Laura, for being on Becoming Your Best Version. Thank you, Maria. I just want to tell people that um, if you want to read the first five chapters of The Burning Light of Two Stars, the memoir I've been referencing, you can read them on my website, which is, you know, a big, much bigger sample than you'd get on Amazon. So you could get a taste for the book and see if it's a good fit for you. Oh, yes, that's a great tip. I have never seen five whole chapters offered for free. <laughs> so thank you for that. All right. So join us again next week for more tips and inspiration from amazing, inspiring women on becoming your best version.